Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Dale Yoakum was a Christian soldier, a profound scholar, a prolific writer, and a powerful preacher. He was faithful to his conservative upbringing, and he was consistent in his deep devotional life. He certainly was a hero of holiness. This sermon was preached many years ago at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida, and it's titled, Loving One Another. I know you will enjoy this wonderful message. Would you stand together, please, for the reading of the word? I want to read only a few verses as the basis of the message today. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Chapter 14, verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father hath given me commandment, even so I do. Rise, let us go hence. You may be seated. I'm speaking this morning about loving one another. The one another relationship is a very common expression in the New Testament. I have counted 85 different times that there are references to the relationships we should have one to another. Directly stated, there are many more times when indirectly a relationship is referred to, but 85 times at least there is a direct reference to our one to another relationships. That involves at least 55 different aspects to our relationship, mostly within the body of believers. 
the most frequently referred to is this love one another relationship. I believe it's the heart of all of them. I'm confident that if any group in fellowship would seriously examine the one another relationships in the New Testament and faithfully carry them out, we'd be in the midst of mighty Holy Ghost revival. I really believe that. I'd like to charge, challenge all of our pastors, all of our teachers, all of us to take our Bibles as we go from here and make a diligent search of these one another relationships. Preach a series on them. Give a series of Bible studies on these one another relationships and ask God to help you be absolutely honest as you examine them. This is the prescription for revival. How we are to relate one to another as members of the body of Christ. I probably won't get over my whole outline. I seem to be running behind in this camp meeting. But let me just give you the outline anyway. There are three points that I would like to refer to in this regard if we just had time. The first is the example presented as I have loved you. The second is the effect produced. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. And the third is the energy provided, and that's referred to in chapter 15, verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. It's by God's own love filling us, flowing through us, that we have the energy to love as he loved. The example presented as I have loved you. The old commandment is found in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a high standard. That's a far higher standard than most people in our world are living, far higher. But here Jesus raises it even higher. He doesn't say to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, love your neighbor as I have loved yourself. As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. We just as well admit that's a total impossibility unless there's something divine and supernatural available to us. We begin right where Jesus began his Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Those that admit we are totally destitute. We can't do it. You can't, I can't, nobody can. We can't love anybody like Jesus has loved us unless it's his own love being reproduced in us. That's the only way it can be done. It seems to me that in this chapter, John gives a systematic analysis of how Jesus loved his disciples. And probably for the most of the time that we have this morning, I want us to examine how Jesus loved this band of disciples. John goes from one case to another in this chapter from his beginning reference to Jesus' love on to the end of the chapter and takes up example after example of this band of disciples and how Jesus loved them. The first verse says, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world, that's the hour of his own deepest anguish, that's the hour of his own indescribable passion. Having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. And that phrase, unto the end, does not mean until time ran out, till he couldn't have any more time for loving. It means that in his own passion, he loved them to the absolute limit of love. He showed the greatest conceivable, possible manifestation of love right in the midst of his own sorest passion. That's his kind of loving. That it shows itself most brightly, most powerfully when it's under the greatest pressure. We can't do it, friends, unless we have something supernatural. This chapter is a beautiful parallel to Paul's song of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But let me say before I get into these cases that we're not talking about some soft, flabby sentiment here this morning. I fear we may come to the conclusion that when we're talking about love, we're really not talking about anything substantial, anything that's rugged or rock ribbed. Love is just kind of a soft, shifting sentiment. Not Christ's love, brother, not his love. That's true of a lot of this earth's talk of love. It doesn't have any backbone. It doesn't have any spine. It doesn't have any fixed principles. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jesus' love. It had some principle to it. The first reference that John makes is to Judas. And Jesus' love toward Judas is shown by kindness. Paul said, this love suffereth long and is kind. Jesus is emphasizing and manifesting that preeminently in his relationship to Judas. Just within the scope of this chapter, let me point out some things about Judas. 
In verse 11, John says that he, Jesus, knew who should betray him. In chapter 6, he says that Jesus knew from the beginning who should betray him. Jesus has in his inner company here a man who, as he knew from the beginning, will betray him in the most despicable, treacherous way. In the most appalling way by planting a kiss of friendship on his cheek. And Jesus knew this from the beginning, John says. But look farther in this chapter, verse uh, 21. Jesus had said this. He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now mark you, Jesus had known from the beginning who it was and finally, at the Last Supper, he reveals the fact that one of the disciples is going to betray him. And not a single disciple turned and pointed his finger at Judas and said, Ha ha, I know who it is. Ha, Judas, I know. Not a one of them did that. Every one of them said, Is it I? Jesus knew it for three years and more, but not another disciple had the slightest suspicion it was Judas who was going to be the traitor. Jesus never went around whispering to John, hey, watch that buddy. Dangerous guy we got on board. There's no telling what's going to happen if we don't ship him out of here. Would you help me pull the rug out from under him? And he never went over to Peter and said, Peter, I, I've got something to whisper to you. We've got a traitor in the camp. He's dangerous. I mean, he could wreck this whole project. What do you think we ought to do about him? You have any ideas? Jesus never whispered what he knew about Judas. You know why? Because he loved Judas. And he wanted to help Judas. And when he came to the encounter in the Garden of Gethsemane, that treacherous act of the kiss, Jesus said, friend, friend, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Peter's curious. He's always curious. He wanted to know who it was. Somebody's going to betray you, Master. And he whispered to John, hey, John, you're close. Ask him who it is. And Jesus didn't say, there's the traitor. There he is. He whispered back again until nobody else but Peter and John knew what he said. It's the one to whom I'm giving the sop. Then he handed it to Judas and said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And John says nobody else in the congregation, in the company, knew what he was talking about. I'm talking about the subtle but terrible danger 
of evil speaking one against another. That's a betrayal of Christ's kind of love. John Wesley said, there's no more common sin among believers than the sin of evil speaking. James said, speak not evil one of another, brethren. I'm not talking about people out in the world now, we're talking about brethren. Evil speaking is not the same as telling lies, maybe a hundred percent the truth, but it's something told about a brother to his discredit when he can't defend himself, can't present his side of the story, not in a way to bless anybody, but just to cut this feller down, to bring him down. There's far more in the scripture said against evil speaking than there is a lot of other things that we hammer away at and hammer away at and hammer away at. I hear a lot more preaching about TV than I do about evil speaking. Don't you? And we get a lot of more amens too, by the way. Nobody's hooping it up while I'm talking about evil speaking. I'm talking about how Jesus loved Judas. And he said, now this is how I want you to love one another. Didn't telling lies. It's just talking a person down. Judas had done wrong, no question about that. He was a devil. The devil put it into his mind, and right here in the upper room, the, the devil entered into Judas. He's a dangerous person. But Jesus still loved Judas. And he didn't go around whispering against him. He confronted him face to face, tried to help him. Why is this sin of evil speaking so common? Because we get indignant against wrongdoing. And unless you do something about indignation, you'll burn out on the inside or callous over on the inside. When you're filled with indignation, you need to do something to alleviate the fiery pressure on the inside. And Jesus told us what to do when we have indignation on the inside. He said, love your enemy. Bless him that curses you. You feel all steamed up on the inside? We'll start praising God. Saying something good about that brother. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. That'll let off the steam. Do good to them. Do something special good to them. We had a neighbor when we moved in where we now live. We were doing some remodeling and had some trash lying around the house, some of the scaffolding and so on. We were doing some major alterations. 
There was a neighbor nearby who was very incensed that we were a bunch of kind of ruffians, you know, slum people coming in, and she would send nasty little notes in the mail and call the city fathers down to check up on what we were doing. We finally suspected who it was. And I went to the door with one of my wife's lovely cherry pies. Just took her to the door and said, we, we just want to be good neighbors. We never got another nasty note. We didn't scandalize her in the community. We didn't just take her a piece of cherry. Take her a full pie. Homemade cherry pie. Never been another ugly word. We can talk to one another. Try it. It'll let off your steam. I am indignant about Well, go do something good for them then. Let it off. Pour it out like Jesus would. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them. That's a good way to let off indignation. Pour it out in prayer. Until it's all gone. Just pour it out in prayer. I know it's easier to, to share it with somebody else. Buzz, 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 buzz. Good, it's gone. But you violated the principle of love and violated an oft-repeated command of God's word. Don't do it. Well, that's how Jesus loved Judas. Anybody want to come to the altar? Anytime. It's quite all right. The next incident here relates to the whole bunch of the disciples, and it took place in the upper room. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, knowing that the Father had given everything into his hands, Riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I'd like to commission a top-notch artist to paint a realistic picture of that scene. And I'd like to reproduce it and give a copy to every pastor in the country to hang on his study wall. A picture of Jesus who knows that everything in the universe is in his control now. And not just as an act, not as a put on to express his kind of love. He gets down at the feet of his disciples he said to them, I am among you as he that serveth. Who's greater? Who's greater? The one that sits or the one that serves? Well, I'm here, he said. I am here to serve. You see, they had just had an argument there about which one of them was really the greatest. I think it was related to the incident uh, that there was nobody there to wash their feet as should have been done when they came into a room. There should always be a servant there to wash the feet. They had just come in from dirty roads. I mean dirty roads. And there should by all means be somebody there to wash their feet. Nobody was there. Who should do it? Well, not I. I'm too important. 
you know, I'm really become somebody since I found Jesus. You know, I hope to sit at his right hand. John, you're sort of little. You're sort of young. Why don't you do it? No, I'm as important as you are. I'll probably be around longer than you will. After all, you're about to go off the scene. Why don't you do it? And they quarrel. Who should do it? Jesus didn't quarrel. He just said, who do you think is greater? The one that sits in his seat? Or the one that serves? I'm here to serve, he said. And not as an act, not as a show, but to demonstrate love, his kind of love. He got down, washed their feet, dried them with a the towel. I say, I'd like a picture. That I'd like for it to show the looks on Peter's face. I'd like to see the expression on John's face and the rest of their faces. That's a hard lesson to learn, that we show love by serving. Now, I have no objection to people who practice foot washing in the church. That's quite all right with me. It can become a formality just like any other thing. But verse 15, Jesus said, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. There are two words translated example in our New Testament. One means an exact copy, an exact copy, line for line. The other means a pattern. You ladies know what patterns are. You go to the store and buy pattern. Did you ever wear one? You ladies ever go and wear a pattern? Well, patterns are not to be put on and worn. You can use a pattern to cut out a thousand different fabrics of dresses. A pattern isn't to be worn. It's to, to be used to cut out dresses by that you will wear. Jesus was not just saying, I want you to do this specific thing over and over and over. He said, I'm giving you a pattern here, and it can apply in a thousand different ways. I mean, you can go on washing feet. I don't quibble over that. I'm just saying this is not a specific demonstration of what we're to do. It's a pattern. We can apply this in a thousand different ways. There's some way today that you can follow out this pattern of just getting lowly and serving somebody else. They may be cantankerous, they may be difficult to get along with, but Jesus' kind of love says you can humble yourselves and be a blessing to those people, and they may catch on that you love them. John caught on. John refers to himself in verse 23. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. He doesn't say there was one that was the most important in the company. The greatest of all of them was there. John has caught on. He loves me. 
and I think I'm the most unworthy, and he shows me the greatest love of all. The theologian Tillich, I don't know what you think of his theology, but somebody asked him one day, what is the most profound theological concept that, you ever, that ever engaged your mind? He said, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loved his disciples and he said, now I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Well, let's come to Peter. Jesus did. Verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. There are some unique characteristics about Simon Peter, and one was that he was a fast, fast talker and a slow, slow thinker. We are told that most people can think at least four times as fast as they talk. Not Peter. He could talk much faster than he could think. His words were always running ahead of his thoughts. Or just to give you one example, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the glory came down, Peter said, Master, let's build us three tabernacles and stay here. And John is preparing to write a gospel and he's taking notes. And he wrote down this, Peter said, because he didn't know what to say. <laughs> but you know, Peter has to say something. He didn't know, he hadn't thought what to say yet, but here it comes. I don't know if it fits or not, but that's Peter, you know, I've got to say something. And he does some talking right here in this chapter. Then cometh Jesus to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said, thou shalt never wash my feet. No, never, no, no, never. Jesus said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part in me. Peter said, Lord, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash me all over. Wash, 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 Lord, please wash me. And uh, Jesus said, no, Peter, you don't need anything washed but your feet right now enough that's the kind of man Peter is you know boom hiss boom slow of thought fast of tongue look at the end of this chapter our text verses Jesus had just said whither I go you cannot come and then he gave this new commandment and Peter missed it altogether. He totally missed it. Simon Peter then said, Lord, where, where are you going? Where are you going, Lord? You know, he, did, he didn't say, help us to love. Oh, help us to love like this. And Master, where are you going? 
And Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter is so childish. He's like a little child. Peter said, Lord, why can't I go now? I'm going to go now, Lord, now. You ever have children like that? But I want it now, Daddy. Why do I have to wait? I, I want it now. That's Peter. And the Lord said, well, Peter, whether I go, you cannot follow me now. Will thou lay down thy life for my sake? Peter says, you know, I, I'll follow you and I'll lay down my life for your sake. Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And if you remember the full story from all the Gospels, Jesus came over this warning three times to Peter. And he kept on insisting, though everybody else fails you, Lord, I want you to know old Peter will be right there with you. I want you to know that. And then you know what happened. Peter went out and swore and said, I never knew him. I don't know him. Talking fast again. I, I don't know him. Some of the old language came back. He swore. Never heard of it. I don't know him. And then he saw Jesus and burst into tears. Went out sobbing. Jesus loved Peter. After the resurrection, one of the very first ones, probably the second one he came to, first appears to be Mary Magdalene. As far as I can find, the next one he sought out was Peter, alone. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love beareth all things. And as I told you the other morning, that word beareth means to put a cover over, to conceal it from outside observation, and then get under the tent with this person and restore him without publicizing the problem. Keeping it undercover so nobody out there ever finds out about this problem. Jesus searched out Peter, and we don't know to this day a single word that was spoken. It was put undercover. It's strictly between Jesus and Peter. What would you have said to him? You big windbag. I told you you'd do this. You didn't have sense enough to listen. You know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to mark you off my list, buddy. I've given you more chances than any of the rest of them, and you just blew it sky high. I can't build a kingdom on people like you. We're finished, you understand? I don't think that's how Jesus talked to Peter. I don't think it is. I don't know what he said. But I'm sure of one thing. He melted Peter clear down with his love. Till Jesus, till Peter didn't go away mad, he kept hanging on and coming back and made it through to Pentecost. I know some people are dead wrong. I know they are. 
I know some other people have broken down and lied and failed of their promises and turned back to the old habits. But Jesus follows that kind of people and just keeps showing them love. Just keeps on showing them love. Just keeps on showing them love. And then keeps on showing them love. Having loved his own, he loved them to the absolute limit. Clear to the end, clear to the limit, until there was no more way to show love. To the end. How soon does your love give out? I had some dealings with a young fellow that proved himself a real rascal. I mean a real rascal. I was sorely put out because of the grievous, grievous problems he was producing. But as I was studying this chapter, and the Lord was letting it sink into my soul, I saw myself in relation to this young rascal. And I couldn't get free until I sat down and wrote him a letter and told him that I loved him. And I was praying for him. And I'd do anything I possibly could to help him to go with God and to make success. And I trust this morning under God he's going to make good success. Do we love like Jesus loves? You say, but those people are dead wrong. Well, so was Judas and so was Peter. But Jesus kept loving them. That's the fact. He kept loving them. He kept pouring out his kind of love upon them until they'd never miss it. I love you. I love you. You say, well, brother, don't you ever take a stand against anything? Oh, of course I do, and so did Jesus. And I want to stand against everything he stands against, but I want to stand against it in the way he stands against it. I want to speak the truth, but I want to speak the truth in love. I preach on standards. Standards can be hard. Some of them are made of steel and some are made of hard wood. And we can use them as clubs. I believe in speaking the truth, but I believe in speaking the truth in love. I think this is good logic that the greatest evil would be to break the greatest commandment. Wouldn't you agree with that? The greatest evil is to break the greatest commandment. And the greatest commandment is the love commandment. The greatest commandment of all is not a commandment about jewelry or bobbed hair or miniskirts. It isn't. That's right, it isn't. The greatest commandment of all is a commandment about love. And if we violate that commandment, it really doesn't matter a whole lot what we do about some of these other things if we have violated Christ's highest principle of love. I'm interested in standing against things, but I'm interested in doing it in a way to show Christ's love. Friends, we need help in this area. I need, let me put it that way, I need help in this area. I'm trying to stand against some things 
And I guess the words getting out, Brother Yoakum's become a legalist. I hope not. I want to demonstrate love in the things I'm against as well as in the things I'm for. And I'm for Jesus, and I'm for his kind of love this morning. I don't demonstrate it like I wish I could. But I exult in his love here this morning. Well, let's go on into the next chapter. We come to the case of Philip and Thomas. Jesus has been with his disciples as their master teacher for three years, and he's coming right to the end of this tremendous course of instruction he's given his little band of 12. They finish seminary. They've come down to final exam time. And Jesus is giving them a little quiz just to see how well they've caught on. And he begins to tell them some beautiful truth. A summary here. Let not your heart be troubled. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also in class. Whither I go, you know. And the way, you know. Oh, Thomas, you have a question? Yeah? We don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. Isn't that beautiful? Three years in seminary under Jesus Christ. And here are the basics. You know where I'm going now, friends. And you know the way. We don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. Did you ever have students like that? <laughs> I've had a few of them. One of the schools that I taught, a little elementary school, I was teaching. And after about the first month, I wrote home to my parents, and I said, I am teaching my morons their lessons. This is the battle of more and less. <laughs> One of those little ladies, I was trying to teach how to spell the word shirt, and she always left out the I. S-H-R-T. S-H-R-T. I took her privately and went over it. I said, that has five letters. The middle letter is I. Say it over after me. S-S-H-H, so on. You understand? Yes. Well, write it on the board. Okay. S-H-R-T. There it is. Isn't that great? Brother French began this morning talking about us common people. I tell you, he had a common bunch of them here he was working on. But let's go on with the final review. I guess I thank God because of Thomas's dullness. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If he had known me, he should have known my Father. And from now on, you do know him. And you have seen him. Okay? Okay, fellas? From now on, you do know the Father, and you have seen him. Oh, Philip, you have a question? Yes. Would you please show us who the Father is, and it sufficeth us? We don't know who the Father is. Jesus is building a kingdom and he's ready to leave them and hear a bunch of stuff that can't learn A from Z. They haven't learned the first principles. Well, he taught that lesson about humility, bowing down and serving. He taught them five times over and they still don't know that one. You think... Jesus can build an eternal kingdom on this kind of common stuff? Yes, if he can just love them long enough. If he can just keep on loving them, he can. Jesus is demonstrating that anybody with enough of his love can go anywhere and pick up any kind of people. Any pastor can go to any part of the world and pick up any set of people and build God's kingdom on them if he can get love through to them. You can, pastor, where you are if God's love is, is flowing through you into their heart. You can. You're having trouble there? Maybe they're not feeling this kind of love that just hangs in there and keeps on working. Have you shown God's love like Jesus shows God's love? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to